Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Sorry, y'all. It's just Michael and I. Uh, we are so glad that you are with us. Michael, our resident ephesiologist, and myself, Andrew Johnson. I'm an associate pastor at Neartown Church. Um, we are actually excited because there have been things that have been, I say actually excited. It's mainly because my voice sounds like I'm just droning at a, at a monotone level. We're excited because there have been things that are happening behind the scenes um, there have been chatter, there has been chatter moving towards a collaboration um, that we have recently talked about, but we are officially ready to unveil. Michael, can you can you shed some light on this collaboration? Yeah, yeah, I don't I guess unveiling is the proper word to use for this. Uh, we've have for I guess. The past couple years uh, have been in conversations with Alan Hirsch and Rich Robinson from the Movement Leaders Collective about a, an educational initiative that would help provide some uh, foundation and theological and missiological underpinning to what we all are excited about in terms of God's mission in the world. And uh, so we we have officially, um, I guess, revealed that to uh, a number of folks, and now we're revealing it to our listeners on the Ephesiology podcast. And uh, I'm excited about it, just like you said, Andrew. I mean, this is this is uh, something that's been long in the making. Uh, we think it's the right direction to go. Absolutely. And uh, because we're really reconceptualizing what education, what theological education is about. You know, somewhere along the road, the theological education became more about the person, more about the educator, rather than those receiving the education, and uh, and so we're trying to flip that, so to speak. Can you elaborate this... on that? Time out. Yeah, you know, I think that, here... I think that's a big thing to unpack. Why yeah. do you think that is the case, and what what is the downstream effect of that? Well, I think it's the case uh, largely from experience. Um, you know, when I and you as well, when we right. attended seminary, we attended uh, the, with some of the greatest minds in the evangelical world, and we learned from them. And that was great. It was like, uh, and we would often talk about how the courses were just like a, a opening of a fire hydrant pouring into our brains as we learned from these brilliant uh, professors. And that's a good thing. And many people learn in that way. I did, you did, and many others mm -hmm. uh, will do that as well. There's certainly uh, some value, right? We're not saying it's absolutely, you know, value less. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are some of us that have some content and some experience that merits uh, attention, so to speak. But um, I think what's most important is that the student merits the attention of the faculty, and uh, and that's what we're what, what we're trying to do. We want to contextualize education to the needs of the student, rather than thinking that you know we as faculty have a great wealth of knowledge, 
um, that, that we want to dump into someone's mind, uh, we're flipping that and saying, you know, we want the student to drive their education. They know better than we do about what their needs are uh, vocationally, uh, what their needs are personally, what their needs are in terms of the knowledge that they need to acquire to be effective in ministry. And so um, and so that's what we're doing in, in this education. I'd like this. I, I, I have, you know, occasionally I do the geeky thing and read ancient philosophers and I've only been, occasionally, only just occasionally. Um, and uh, so it's been fun to review uh, Plato's allegory of the cave. If you remember that from your philosophy class, uh, I, we all do. Oh, good. All right. Then, then this will make sense uh, because it's a beautiful story, allegory of uh, Socrates, of course, and in conversation with Plato's brother, Glaucon, and they're talking about this uh, hypothetical circumstance where there are people that are chained uh, in this dark cave and their heads are fixed in such a way that they can only see what's in front of them. Mm-hmm. And behind them, un, un, unbeknownst to them, is a fire. And people from the outside would walk by the fire with certain uh, objects. Uh, and the, that those objects would cast a shadow on the wall. And that was all that the people who were chained in the cave could see were just simply those shadows. And every once in a while, one of the people walking with the object would make a comment. And so that comment along with that shadow was the perception of reality that these chained people had about that object. And that's all they knew about it until uh, someone comes along and liberates one of those who was chained and begins to bring them out from behind the wall and and they're struck, of course, by the light uh, of the fire, and it hurts their eyes. And the, you know, the, there's pain caused when when the eyes begin to see something that could perhaps reveal some truth to uh, their experience. And then the 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 chained the formerly chained person is making his way up out of the cave to the sunlight. And once in the sunlight, of course, there's more struggle, more pain because of that light. But eventually they begin to see what's real because the sun, the revealer of the good, uh, is is showing what these objects actually are. And so this one person gets this new knowledge, so to speak, not because it was told to them, but it was because someone was helping to lead them along a path to help them to discover for themselves what uh, reality was. And so, that I mean, the moral of the story here is that education is uh, is about not so much dumping our knowledge into somebody else as much as it is helping a person along the path to accrue that knowledge themselves. Uh, because as as in this dialogue that Plato records between Socrates and Glaucon um, uh, that tells us that everyone has the capacity to accrue that knowledge. There aren't certain people that have a greater capacity than others. But what is needed is someone to walk alongside of them, to help lead them 
in a direction where they'll discover for themselves uh, a sense of uh, the ideal uh, or the reality uh, that's before them. So anyway, I, you know, when I think about what we're doing, I think of Plato's allegory of the cave. Um, we want to walk alongside of people and not that we have a great knowledge and I, I'm sure that some of us do, but it's much more beneficial for all of us to, uh, to be on that journey together to help others discover uh, what's out there and uh, and to realize that reality for themselves and then see that reality put into application, then that's exciting. As, as an educator, I mean, that really excites me uh, to, to be on that journey with with uh, people who desire to, to learn. So for our listeners, they tune into this podcast occasionally when we drop episodes and they listen to Michael and I either drone on about things that we are passionate about or the people that we bring on the podcast. Uh, but this is a collaboration and we are doing this in coordination with Rich Robinson and Alan Hirsch of the Movement Leaders Collaborative. And uh, as Michael said, this is the official unveiling uh, to the real world or the whole world or the wider world? I don't know. Um, because uh, just this past week, uh, we were able to sit down and have an open house, uh, listening to Rich, listening to Alan, and those of us uh, who are pursuing this uh, doctorate of ministry. Um, I was trying, I keep trying to, to go away from saying pursuing this demon, because <laughs> it sounds awkward, no matter how many times I have to say it. So pursuing this doctorate of ministry, um, those of us who are on this path got to listen to you, to Alan, and to Rich to kind of catch a vision for this, to catch a vision for why does this matter now? And uh, so Michael and I were talking, we thought it would probably be good uh, to let our listeners in on that conversation and hear what Alan has to say, hear what Rich has to say and uh, why it matters for now. So before we go to the audio clip, is there any, is there any uh, other prefacing uh, from you on, on what we're about to hear? Well, I, I would just say that what Alan shares is worth your time in listening to this podcast, because, I mean, we know Alan has a brilliant mind in thinking about uh, the, uh, things about movement and paradigms and, and all. And so I think you're going to thoroughly be entertained by listening to uh, especially Alan's comments. Okay. So at this point, we're going to cut to them and then we'll come back and uh, close out this podcast. So enjoy this conversation. Well, wonderful to be with you, brothers and sisters. My name is Rich Robinson, along with Alan Hirsch. We're the co-founders of the Movement Leaders Collective. And so the Movement Leaders Collective, a community of movement leaders and a catalyst for movement leadership with the desire, the aim, the thrust to help the church to remember and re really understand the forgotten ways, to remember the forgotten ways and to reimagine her future. So to look back 
and understanding the MDNA, the movement DNA framework, understanding the first century design of church, reimagining and releasing that potential in a 21st century context. And tonight you're here because of an exciting partnership that we as MLC have with Michael and a physiology. And you're going to hear a little bit more, both of the why of this DMIN program and the potential of what you're going to be learning, but also some of the what and the how. So Alan is going to share a little bit of why movements. So for many of us on the call, there is a sense of a holy discontent and a kingdom hope for what's possible to recover and release movemental Christianity in the 21st century. You'll hear from Alan, and then we're going to hear from Michael and we're going to lay out and map out a little bit for you some of the what you will cover, how it will work. And then we'll finish with the opportunity to have some question and answer. So a little bit of the why, a little bit of the what and the how, and then the opportunity for you to say, well, how does this work and what about this? And so what I'd encourage you is Alan's talking and then he'll hand over to Michael as they're both sharing the why, the what, the how. Really encourage you use the chat bar. There's uh, 27 people on the call so far and soon soon to be more. So we've got around 40 people that will come with us. And so the hope and the heart is that it's a learning community, not just an individual program that you are on, but it's a learning community. And so for those that want to step forward, we start now. So use the chat bar, put comments, put questions. We'll dialogue as a team with you. But we're thankful that you're here, excited that you're here. And we hope that the DMIN program really both brings alive what has been latent within you, but also gives energy and impetus and increased fruitfulness for what you're already doing. It's not just conceptual, theoretical information exchange, but this is about equipping you as a missional and a movemental practitioner. So Alan, you're going to share a little bit of the why, the heart behind movements and why we're here. And then Michael's going to talk us through the process. So Al, go for it. Yeah, it's a very, very exciting moment. Um, I have to be admit, uh, as I said in the email, uh, for me, um, friends, I've been, uh, I can remember at least four occasions, uh, four, sorry, not occasions, four long uh, conversations with four major seminaries, at least four trying to get something of postgraduate or doctoral work um, for the idea of movements. Um, you know, I'll explain perhaps why I think it's important just as I go, but um, to no avail, uh, very difficult to, to, to get particularly um, uh, a, a kind of course that's based upon action learning uh, kind of principles. Um, very, very difficult to get at that level. And it's partly because the system is geared around different um outcomes so um here we are and this is very exciting because uh, this is, you know i've known michael for a number of years now being a dear friend and uh this has just come about through his hard work and his dreams to create a new way of learning um a new kind of form of academy which is communal and focused around distinct outcomes so yeah so i'm very grateful and i'm grateful to michael for making this happen too so why movements? Um, well, I'll say this, that I, I, as someone who's been very involved in the missional conversation for, what, 25, 30 years now, I no longer tend to use the word missional very much. Um, 
Uh, it's not because I don't believe in it. I just believe that everything became missional and therefore nothing became missional. And it, 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 it went nowhere. It was an idea that everyone could sign off on. I now tend to substitute the term uh, movement for missional um, because I think movement is the best form of missional church. Uh, movements are made to move. That's why they're called movements. They are concrete embodiments of mission. They are, they are agencies or organizations that take mission seriously enough to realign themselves around it. And so in, in, in effect, they're the best form of missional church. Um, I've also come to the conclusion that, um, that and this is somewhat disturbing, um, that missional theology in the last 50, 80 years has pretty much won the theological paradigm war. In other words, most people think, you know, they will use the word missional now and kind of agree. Well, how could you disagree with, you know, people like, you know, Bosch and and uh, and Newbegin and 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 Bart and et cetera, et cetera. Very, very hard to. Um, yeah, I mean, they pretty much won the war, the battle, the intellectual battle. But uh, but I have to say that the movement itself hasn't gone from there. It kind of won the paradigm, if you will, but it has completely failed, I think, to change the ecclesiology, uh, the mindset, the culture, the structures that embed Christendom deeply throughout. Um, so, for instance, well, missional Presbyterianism, and Presbyterianism did take it seriously. Missional Presbyterian remains, well, pretty Presbyterian. And you can say this for any denomination. So missional remained a thing in the head, uh, but it didn't impact the ecclesiology or the way we structure ourselves. Um, and I have a number of experiences I could kind of kind of bring out to you, but time won't kind of allow us. So, but I do think that that um, the big idea won, but they failed to address the issue of the structures and the culture and the practices that embed uh, the old system, the Christendom kind of, framework into the into our thinking so the problem i believe um is is largely for a lot of people a problem of paradigm and paradigm blindness um it was chesterton said is that they it's not that they can't see the solution it's just that they can't see the problem right because it, it, it's hidden in the system it's, it's in the system itself um i love uh to quote and you some of you will really have going to roll your eyes on this one because I use him all the time, but Robert Persick uh, has this quote about um, if you wanted to change the system, like he, I'll read it out to you, but uh, where is it now? Uh, to speak of a certain government and established institutions as the system is to speak correctly, but to tear down a factory, for instance, or to revolt against a particular expression of government is to attack the effects rather than the causes. As long as the attack is on the effects only, no change is possible. The true system, the real system, is the prevailing construction of systematic thought itself, rationality itself. If a factory is torn down, but the rationality that produced it is left standing, then the rationality will simply produce another factory. If a revolution destroys a systematic government, but the systematic patterns of thought that produced that government are left intact, then those patterns will repeat themselves in the succeeding government. There's so much talk about the system, but little understanding, he says. Now, I, I think this is very powerful. 
And I think this is what why what we struggle with. For instance, um, if if a problem has a, a sorry, a child has a, a psychological problem um, at, at school, the, the problems in the child, but the problems also outside the child, and in many ways, the problem actually derives from outside the child. For instance, if the child is dealing with beauty myth or competition or bullying at school, it's probably because it's in the culture itself. It's beyond the child in the culture. So the problem is not simply in the person, in us individually. It's part of the collective understanding, the collective rationality. And this is a problem, friends. This is a big problem. Because you might agree with the idea of movements and, and mission and all that, but it, if the system doesn't change, nothing changes. Uh, if the uh, you know another thing I quote is is uh, John Maynard Keynes, the kind of the seminal the seminal economist. He says uh, you know the composition of this book, which is a book he wrote uh, on topic of you know which ushered in a, a paradigm change, by the way, uh, has been for the author a long struggle of escape. He says, and so must the reading of it be for readers if the author's assault upon them. <laughs> He uses that phrase. If you the author's assault upon them is to be successful, a struggle of escape from habitual modes of thought and expression. That's the point. The ideas which are expressed here so laboriously are actually extremely simple and should be obvious. The difficulty lies, he says, not in the new ideas themselves, but in escaping from the old ones, which ramify, which kind of root themselves into every corner of our minds. And I think he's right. The problem that we face, friends, is that we have a deeply entrenched kind of rationality that relates to the form of church that we currently have. And unless we change the rationality, uh, we're never going to change the system. We need to change the mental map, the frames by which we see things. Uh, and this is not a massive discovery. Actually, it's a rediscovery. It's a recovery of ancient truths about the church. And, uh, and this is what I th why I think movements are the only way forward. Um, but And we do this by going deep into our collective understandings. It's a retrieval of our deepest identity, which has been forgotten. Hence, you know, much of my work, Forgotten Ways, has been important in, in that regard. Uh, and, and, and this is the point here when I come to the, the issue of the doctoral program. And actually, well, it's not just doctoral, it's masters as well here. A postgraduate program. I, importantly, friends, I think we need to do this together. And this is because paradigms are collectively held things. And, and because they're collective, they agree together on what is real. They need to be collectively deconstructed and reconstructed. And I think a, a, a postgraduate program like this is the perfect way to go about doing that. Because we need to do it together. Thomas Kuhn, who wrote a, a seminal book on, on scientific paradigm and paradigm shifts, he noted that <clears throat> um, paradigm shift starts with what he calls a sense of anomaly in the system. Something's wrong. Uh, and this anomaly leads to a, a roaming of the mind. That's a great phrase he uses, a roaming of the mind. And uh, you begin to kind of look for different alternatives to the to the solution oddly enough he actually says it's the best thinkers the people who've really mastered the paradigm by the way who really come to this anomaly because they they know it and they realize yeah it doesn't resolve the problems it doesn't 
resolve all the answers. It doesn't provide for us all the answers. And so they they sense the anomaly. This leads to the roaming of their minds. They begin to search for different alternative ways of answering the problem. They then, and this is the important part, they begin to gather with others who also sense anomaly and are roaming in the mind, and they compare notes. And together they begin to construct a new paradigm which emerges, often in opposition, by the way, of those vested in the previous paradigm. And this is the way he, he says it goes about. And I think this is the process of what we were experiencing. I think the last 20, 30, 40 years, we've experienced the anomaly. Something's wrong, friends, on the good ship Christendom. We know that it's a problem. And in fact, the last five years have shown us this. Uh, very clearly, there's something wrong. Uh, and there's no escaping that. And I think it's God showing us these things too, by the way. And this has led, I think, to a roaming of the mind. We we are beginning to think outside the inherited categories of thought. Now it's time to compare notes, and then we get to shape the future. The more study, the more scholarship we bring to bear, I believe the more that the paradigm will emerge, emerge healthily. Uh, in the MLC, we believe in this idea of seniors, uh, the collective genius. When the, 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 the genius is not in the room, the genius is the room right we believe in that and then and then when we get together we access the communion of saints or what is also called the anima ecclesiastica the the soul of the church as the as god begins to shape us together as we begin to bring our awareness together uh and we begin to reconstruct the future i love the, the uh, bono's kind of song he says dream up the world you want to live in dream out loud at high volume i like it we dream it up, friends, and then we substantiate it with good scholarship and good learning. And that's kind of what we're on about here. So that's my way of introduction. And I, that's why I think this particular um, course on movements and movement thinking and all the stuff we've worked very, very hard at at, at Movement Leaders Collective, this is why we, we think this is an important uh, important moment for us. So, Wow. That was really fun. Uh, to listen to again, uh, because I was in the room and uh, it was it was great to hear. It was great to get that encouragement. Um, also, I will forever be a sucker for both of their accents. So I can listen to them talk about anything for a very long time. And then beyond that, things that I am passionate about. I mean, it's just uh, it's just will glory be. Um, so so, Michael, um, what might be then the next step if one of our listeners or many of our listeners were excited by what they heard? Well, the next step would be to connect with us, um, either through the website, physiologymasterclasses.com and the doctor of ministry program with the, with MLC. You can connect there uh, for more information. The prospectus is online as well. And, and the whole recording of our open house is there too. And so those are great places to, uh, to to gather more information. Okay, so you said masterclasses.physiology.com to go right. there? Yep. And then on the homepage, just scroll down, find it. Doctor Ministry with MLC. Okay. Well, this is a wonderful trifecta between Kairos University, Physiology Masterclasses, and the MLC. Um, as a participant in this, I am very excited uh, for where this is going to go. 
And uh, as Michael said, go to go to our website to get more information. Please reach out, even if you think maybe this is something I could pursue someday. Uh, reach out. We want to be able to talk with you and help you understand that someday could be today. You can jump on at any time. Or that someday could be something a year from now, and there are some things you could do in preparation for that. So we, but we can't tell you that on a podcast because we don't know you just yet. So reach out to us. We look forward to talking with you. Uh, but we're going to close the podcast today. Thank you for spending time with us. Uh, so for Michael and myself, thank you for listening to the Ephesiology Podcast. <laughs>